0: Pastor and Fellowship, but today we have a guest speaker. His name is Daniel Tyler, and uh, Daniel is the founder of Deliver Hope. Uh, he's also a teaching pastor down at City Church in Conway, and uh, he came back in August. So many of you might remember him. He did a great job, and so we are so excited to have him back. So, would you welcome Daniel? Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here today and um, very excited about um, just the opportunity to share God's Word and um, hope that you are encouraged by it. I know you guys have been in a series walking through the miracles of uh, Jesus, and uh, we're going to take a small break and talk today about something that God is kind of stirring up in my soul and uh, revolving around the issue uh, of grace. And uh, grace is one of those topics, I think, in our uh, American, Southern American Christianity that is, um, I think, hard for us to really understand. Um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, um, and so depending on where you're at, um, you know, when you, when you hear that a message is about grace, uh, you might be tempted to check out. Um, I don't know ab- about you, but sometimes when I hear somebody get, well, I'm going to talk about grace, and are like, gosh, I already, kn- you know, I know about grace. C.S. Lewis uh, put, it, put it perfectly. He said, uh, When when he was asked, what's the difference between Christianity and every other world religion? And Lewis said, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. And so what I've experienced in my own life and my life as as, uh, going through my years uh, as a pastor is that grace is a concept that many people struggle with, both Christians and non-Christians. Um, and maybe you uh, there, there's times where I've told people I talked about grace I went to a uh, church one or uh, several weeks ago I was preaching about grace at City Church in uh, Conway and a guy came up to me I was talking to him and said he said hey what are you what are you talking about today and I said grace and he said oh great this is one of those churches they're going to beat me over the head and tell me that I got to accept the grace of Jesus or else I'm going to burn in hell and I'm like well that wasn't necessarily what I was going to say, but uh, if you'll stick around, you'll learn uh, that maybe that's not the way that this is, and uh, and you know, it's interesting, or maybe you're one of those people who, when you think about grace, uh, this is how I've always struggled, what I always struggled with until I really started understanding the scriptures, is that when it comes to grace, I used to think, man, if you only knew what I've done, like if you've only known what I've been through and where I've been, I, you know, I appreciate it, bro, but grace is not for me, um, or, or maybe you're thinking, hey, let's just be honest, the real reason that Christians talk about grace is so they can deal with their own guilty conscience. <laughs> you know? And I've had Christians admit this to me, that it's just a coping mechanism where they try to handle all the pain in their own life. And so they say stuff like, man, that's cool, bro, you do your thing, uh, but I don't really have anything to feel guilty about. And so, um, you know, the music was great, thanks for the free cup of coffee, but, you know, I'm, I'm good. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. And you've learned the scriptures, you've been in Bible studies, and you've listened to sermon after sermon after sermon, and you say something like, yeah, grace, I get it. I'm team grace, let's do this. But can we move on to something a little bit more, a little deeper than grace? Like maybe we could go through the three primary views of eschatology. right? And some of you are like, what, esca what? It's a real thing, different sermon. Um, and so maybe you're hearing about grace and you think, hey, that's awesome. I love grace, but is it really that simple? Is this whole Christian life following Jesus, is it really that simple? Here's the thing. If we don't understand grace, we'll never understand the gospel. I can't think, you know, I can think all day long that I don't need grace for whatever reason or that I'm beyond grace for whatever reason. But if we want to go deeper in the, the gospel, uh, if, there is nothing deeper in all of Scripture than the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Uh, And so we cannot skim over it. The truth is this, is that grace is for all of us, wherever we are. It's for all of us, whoever we are. It's needed by all of us. We don't get to add any qualifications to it, right? Like, like we never outgrow grace. And so what is it? Like, what is grace? Actually, grace is this. um, It's it's just this really simple definition. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I was... um, um, a couple of, last summer I think I uh, was in Wisconsin, and I, my family's, my wife's family's all in Wisconsin, so we're up visiting families, a bunch of cousins, you know, and we're all hanging out, and my son and I got into a little uh, thing that parents do, you know, probably I was doing something, and he was doing something, and anyways, he snapped at me, and uh, very, you know, very disrespectful, so I said, you are grounded, you're not allowed to, your cousins are coming over, but you're not playing with them, because you're not going to talk to me like that, and so I sent him up to the room and told him, you know, don't you talk, you know, cause I was mad. And uh, my wife was like, "Don't you think that's a little, you know, a little harsh? You know, his cousins live here, and we live in Arkansas. You don't get to see him that much." I was like, "Ah, you're probably right. Maybe a little harsh. I'm gonna go upstairs and talk to him." And I'm on my way upstairs. I'm thinking, "How do I tell him? I already grounded him. I can't tell him, hey, 'Hey, I'm not really gonna ground you.'" So I was, you know, walking up, and all of a sudden, you know, it was one of those like spirit of God moments, and I realized this is a perfect opportunity to share the grace of Jesus with my son. Um, And so, get upstairs, tell him, "Hey, you know what? I'm not gonna ground you. You're allowed to play with your cousins. You deserve to be grounded, though." because you disrespected me just like we deserve death and hell and all of those things because of our sin but out of the grace of Christ we don't we don't get it Um, and so it was such a special thing for me to be able to process that and this is what Galatians is is trying to show us because all of us no matter where we are whether we realize it or not at some point in our lives usually multiple times we get this notion in our head that that I have to deserve grace Right or that I have to earn grace. And, and Galatians is trying to deconstruct that entire thought process. Here's the back story. Here's what's going on, if you don't know this. Galatians is actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who has this incredible story of transformation in his own life. He goes up to Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey. He plants all these churches up there, and then he leaves, and he takes off to go plant more churches. And then he writes a letter back to the Christians in Galatia about what he hears is going on in their churches. And I've got to tell you, there are times that Paul gets pretty fired up in this letter. Uh, he gets pretty upset. And, and I know that this is the, what's important for us to know, that, that Paul is specifically talking to Christians. And so if you're here and maybe you're not uh, walking with Jesus, or maybe you wouldn't consider yourselves a Christ follower, understand that when Paul gets fired up, he's he's speaking to Christians. And that's kind of the lens that I'm going to be speaking through um, today. And so it's important for for us to kind of understand that. So if you have a Bible, uh, I ask you to open up to Galatians chapter 1. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. And so, uh, here's what's really fun for me. That's an old-school old preacher joke. I've always loved this. Coming to church without your Bible, it's like eating spaghetti without a fork, right? You get a lot on you, not a lot in you. Anyways, all right. Um, uh, so this is, this is what it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me show you something. This is crazy. That is the gospel. Paul starts the book, starts right out of the gate with, as in talking about grace, he starts right out of the gate with the gospel. But I just told you that he started writing to Christians. The whole book of Galatians is written to Christians, and he starts off with the gospel. Okay, like he's talking to people who already know the gospel. He, they've already accepted the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, it's really easy for us at times to think that the gospel is just a starting point. Right? That it's, that it's for non-believers, right? The non-believers need the gospel, right? And that we as Christians, we need something more advanced. But the truth is, is there is nothing more advanced than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing, right? Yes, it's the starting line, but it's also the finish line. The gospel not only initially saves us, the Bible calls that justification, but it continues to grow and transform us, the Bible calls that sanctification. You know, uh, one of the things that I have a joy to do is uh, preach at different churches. I, I preach primarily at City Church in Conway but I get a chance to kind of pop around and preach at different churches around the United States and so so blessed to do that but what's interesting uh, about that is most of the time when people bring me in they want me to share my story uh, and what they say is I want you to share your story of like when you were a child right uh, I grew up in a broken home some of you heard my story the last time I was here grew up in all this brokenness and Jesus saved me that's what they want me to talk about and it's always so interesting because they're like hey we want to talk about like when Jesus saved you and I'm always like I'm still being saved <laughs> you know like I have sin issues and brokenness and decisions that I make on a constant basis, and I'm asking the, asking Jesus to deal with me on. Like it's not like I just plop me and I'm good, you know. Like justifi- justified, yes. Sanctified, not so much. Um, and and so it's important for us to talk through this because. You know, it's really easy for us as a church, and I'm not a part of your, your local church body, but Big C, as, a, as, as the church, to say, yeah, the gospel, that's awesome, we're all in on the gospel, but can we move on to something else? And the answer to that is no. No. We can never move on from the gospel, Ever. Um, because it's the it's the it's the gospel that continues to transform us and and, and to grow us um, and we, so we can't move from the gospel we have to stay immersed in it. Maybe you've heard this before that the gospel is not the A B C of Christianity it's the A to the Z of Christianity, right? It, it's it's it's. And There's a lot of truth to that. It's this message of salvation, but it's also the source of our growth. It's it's also the foundation of our mission, and that's why Paul is starting off with it. He's talking to Christians, and so maybe the reason that I came here today is just to remind you, for those of you who have maybe been in church and you've heard Scripture and you, you probably have immersed yourself in the Bible, let me just remind you that the gospel is where we stay. The gospel is where we, where we find our life and, and where, where God continues. It's in the God. You have to wake up every morning and preach the gospel to yourself, you know. Um, and so, so what is it, right? What is the gospel? Some of this will be a review for you, um, but I'll, and I'll explain that in just a second. Let me just be clear on what the gospel is. And we read it in the Apostles' Creed, and then we read it again in Galatians chapter 1. So let me just break it down in, uh, in our terms. Here's what the gospel is. There is a God and he created all of us. He created all of us in His image. He created us to be in relationship with Him in perfection. That was the purpose. But all that's been broken, and sin entered into the world, and it fractured everything. And the reason why we have brokenness in the world, and the reason why we have natural disasters, and the reason why we have sickness, and war, and racism, and abuse, and violence is because all the way back in Genesis 3, sin came into the picture, and it broke everything. And you and I, all of us, we're guilty of that sin. That's rebellion, right? Betrayal of a God who created us. And because of our own sin, we separated ourselves from the relationship that we were designed to have with God. And now because of our sin, we deserve an eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. That's the bad news, right? We've got to know the bad news before we get to the good news. The good news is though, is that way back in Genesis chapter three, right after everything went south, when that fractured relationship with God, when we deserve something that God never designed for us, God said, no, 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 no. I love you too much for that. I have a plan to redeem you and I'm going to make all this right. And I'm going to send my son, Jesus, And he's going to live a life for you that you were supposed to live, a perfect life. He's going to live that life for you. And he's going to die for you, paying the price that your sin requires, a price that you cannot pay yourself. And so Jesus comes in, and he lives the life that we were designed to live. He lives it for us. He gives us that righteousness. And then he's betrayed, beaten, spit on, and crucified on a cross. And his death paid the price that our sin requires. He wiped our our debt clean. The punishment is now gone, and that relationship with God has been restored. And then three days later, there's more there's more good news three days later he rose from the dead by himself conquering death so that one day you and I can walk out of the grave also and at the cross Jesus wrote a check for you and at the resurrection that check cleared and all of a sudden, redemption and forgiveness and grace and salvation has been bought, paid for, and given to us as a free gift, and all we have to do is receive it in faith. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that we were saved by grace through faith, not by works. Faith, faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and Jesus says that he is Lord, God, and Savior. Faith that Jesus did what what the Bible says he did, that he was crucified on a cross and rose from the dead. And faith that Jesus will do what he said he would do, save us from the penalty of sin by his grace and his mercy alone. And listen, this should never get old to us. This should never stop humbling us. That should never stop growing us. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can get kind of sideways with the gospel pretty easily, especially in American Christianity. Look at verse 6. He says, Paul says said I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one. I imagine him having a little bit of an attitude here. So let's just roll with me here. Imagine him saying, not that there is another one, right? But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven came in here and preached to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. Some versions say damned. Let him be damned. Let him be accursed. And as we said before, so now I'll say it again. If anyone's preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul's a little fired up here right and i'm a little bit stubborn so i like that little fired up stuff cuz i need somebody sometimes to kick me in the pants and get me on the right on the right path and and so Paul's frustrated. Here's why. Because soon after he left, left Galatia, these people called the Judaizers went up to the churches in Galatia. Right? So they, they were moved by this gospel that I, that I just said. Just a second. They were moved by that and thought, yes, this is what, what. And then all of a sudden these Judaizers come up to these churches and they say to all the Christians there, yes, all of that, that's all great and good and faith in Christ, resurrection, crucified, absolutely, amen. But there's more to it. Paul left some stuff out. He didn't give you the full gospel. In addition to faith in Christ, you also need to follow these Jewish customs. Mainly, you need to keep these dietary laws and you need to be circumcised. So, Paul's like, hey, let me get this straight. Make sure I heard you correctly. It's faith in Jesus, plus you want me to eat or not eat certain things, and you want me to do what? To, to what part of my body? And Paul says, and you believe that? Like, like I can't believe you gave up pulled pork sandwiches you know, and we're willingly circumcised as grown men without anesthesia. Just saying. You'd say, what is circumcision? Keep her moving. I decided to cut that part off my sermon. Anyways, is that too much? Sorry. All right. But he's like, man, I can't believe you did that. Like, you thought that you had to do all of that in addition to faith in order to be saved? And they're like, well, Well, Paul, these people came up here and they told us you were watering down the gospel. And that's what Paul was accused of. That he was trying to make the gospel more appealing to people by removing things that still had to be done. But here's the truth. The real gospel is not about you. It's not about what you do. The real gospel is that it's already been done for you. Right? And so the argument that Paul has, and this was 2,000 years ago, but it's the same struggle that exists today, is that there are so many false gospels out there, just fakes. Right? That you have to believe this, or you've got to believe that, or you've got to believe a concoction of these things. But here's the more common thing among Christians here in America, is that you have to do something in addition to faith. Right? So how do I know if I'm hearing the real gospel or not? Here it is. Let me give you a very simple filter. It's a very, very simple filter. Some people push back on me on this, but I think that there's a lot of truth to it. And hear me, this is the gospel. I'm not saying that there's a lifestyle of righteousness that we should, that we should strive for. We, you know, there is that. But the reality is the gospel, what we accept is Jesus plus anything else that equals nothing. Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. Faith in Jesus plus do a bunch of things or make a bunch of things or or mark this off mark this check checklist or believe something else faith in Jesus plus anything else makes it fake. It's nothing. Right? Faith in Christ alone. So but so you've got Jesus plus anything equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Faith in Christ alone, crucified and resurrected for you, grace plus nothing else, that's the real gospel. Faith in Jesus plus do a bunch of good works, fake gospel. Faith in Jesus plus give all your stuff to the poor, fake gospel. Faith in Jesus plus do some ritual, fake gospel. Adding anything else to the gospel makes it fake. All of those other things, listen, are great things in and of themselves, right? We have to get the order right, though. They have their place. Obedience to Christ, doing good works, things that we value as as a church, like, like generosity and service and discipleship, all those are great. They all have their place. But we have to get things in the right order. Those things, as great as they are, they do not result in the gospel. They are a result of the gospel. You hear me? And there's a big difference. They're not the reason for it. They're a natural response to it. Adding anything else to the gospel makes it fake. And we could talk all day long about doing good works and the importance of that and being righteous and pursuing holiness and all that stuff. That's, that's fine. But here's, here's the core of all those conversations. This is what I found anyways. This is one of the things God's revealed to me. Is that when we talk about that, the root of all of that goes back to the fact that we would much rather try to earn grace for ourselves than trust that it's already been earned for us. Right? It's always a trust issue. It's always been a trust issue because whenever we add requirements to the gospel, that that can kind of be our tangible way of, you know, tracking whether or not we've earned it or not, right? And that's a very subjective and very slippery slope because if you start doing that, then you go, well, who's, you know, whose standard do I measure it by? Do I measure it by this person or I measure it by that person? And it's a quick downward spiral. This is an endless cycle that religion offers. Here's religion at its core. Religion is you have to earn grace. Jesus is already earned grace for you, Right? But here's where we have to watch ourselves, because this is, this is really important. So I pastor in, uh, in Conway, and there's three colleges in Conway. About half of our church is made up of college students. Um, and it's a really interesting thing, because uh, most of the people who have attended City Church have come from very legalistic backgrounds. Um, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, you don't have to, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And so, um, so it's, it's a really scary place when you, go, when you preach grace, 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 because then, the pendulum, it's almost like the pendulum of law. You've got law over here, and then the pendulum swings way to the other side where you just have liberty. Like, hey, I'm free in Christ, baby. I can do whatever I want. Well, there's some, that's not true either, right? And so there's this really scary place to be. And I think the thing that we have to watch ourselves as Christians who find freedom in Christ is they're, they're, it's dangerous. As much as, it is, to, as, much as, as dangerous it is to add stuff to the gospel, it's just as dangerous to take stuff away from it, like the importance of repentance and the need to identify sin. Those are the, it's, it's so important. So you've got, you've got law over here, right? And some churches, man, they, they, that some of us grew up in have a tendency to emphasize conformity to the set of rules as a mark of a Christian, right? Some of you probably maybe have attended those, or maybe you believe this, right? Like real Christians do this, and real Christians do that. They talk this way. They don't go to movies. They don't drink or, or chew or go, go with girls who do. They don't have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing or, wait, hold on, the opposite of that. Um, boys have short hair, right? Girls wear dresses. And, um, you know, there's, and listen, there's nothing wrong with rules, right? We all have them. Rules are good things. As a matter of fact, I set rules for my kids. And the law in the Old Testament was like a, like guardrails for uh, for the Christians to be able to, to, to be with God. And I think there, there's, some, there's some good things uh, for rules, right? We all have them. The problem was and is when, with, with, when we live in this law area is that those rules become the center of Christianity. And if, if anything else is the center of Christianity, then Jesus doesn't have his place. And the thing we focused on, if that becomes the thing we focus on, if we did, you know, then it becomes this idea that if we do this, then God will accept us or we get to feel spiritual. And so many of us have left churches, church services, thinking about what I need to do to make myself more acceptable to God rather than trusting in what God has already done for me and promised to do in me. And then you've got some churches that like only focus on Uh, correct doctrine right i love doctrine i love studying i love the the study of god and and theology and all that stuff and but but a lot of churches like they measure how close you are to god by how much theology you know and listen uh, education does not equal transformation it doesn't transformation doesn't come from a mind stuffed full of knowledge but from simple childlike faith in the gospel some churches focus on practical tips for living right that's great too i think that's Good to learn how to live life. Well, summer's all about how to do this or how to do that. And that's good. I love relevance and practicality. But the problem with a lot of this, this teaching is that it leaves you thinking of it with this how-to list that you're supposed to do rather than looking at what God's done for you and the power to change. You see, the power in Christianity is not a helpful to-do list from Fellowship Bible Church or City Church, or wherever, you, wherever you're attending, but the but in faith in Christ alone and create and what he's done for you. You see, some churches put all their emphasis on Uh, Some dimension of social justice. It's an interesting thing. I'm a big social justice fan. I I started a nonprofit working with high-risk teenagers. We provide resources and opportunities for kids who don't have them. You know, and we work with the court systems, and we do all these different, I'm all about some social justice, but let me tell you something real, you know, I've, I actually heard a, a pastor preach on this, and he said, real churches, real Christians, they care for the poor, that, or, or they fight for rac- racial reconciliation, or they fight, you know, whatever it is, and that's great, all those are, are, are important, it's essential to be being uh, a, a disciple, but the power in Christianity does not come from a new social agenda, it comes from a simple faith in what God has done, and that social agenda will be part of what that looks like when you continue to find yourself in the gospel. And so you've got this law, or you swing all to the other side, and you've got this freedom in Christ, or, lo- or what, what you claim is freedom. I told one guy, if, you have, if there's an area of, of issue in your life where you have to remind people that you have a freedom in Christ to do that, you might just be a slave. But in Christ, the pendulum kind of finds itself in the middle. And there's grace for all of them, if you're in Christ. You see, the greatest threat to the church, I'm convinced of this, the the greatest threat to the church is not an anti-gospel movement outside. The greatest threat to the church is the counterfeit gospel inside. And we have got to guard against that. Because oftentimes, the counterfeit gospel, it looks pretty good, Right? It's never like a flat-out lie. You ever notice? It? It's not. It's not. It's usually not like a flat-out lie. And you could kind of, you could, you know, detect that pretty easily. Usually, a counterfeit gospel is truth twisted ever so slightly, where you'd go, oh, "Okay, yeah, I could buy that. That that makes sense." You know, and Galatians is trying to point out that the real one, and, and, and it's how to identify the facts because we have to know our hope, salvation, mission, and church are attached to the gospel, and so we are attached. Are, the question is, are you attached to the real one or a fake one? And when we know the difference between the real one and the fakes, why in the world would we ever choose a fake? I was um, in sixth grade. I was living in Dallas, Texas, um, and we were, I was at this mall. We were getting ready to move to Conway, and I was, I was at this mall, uh, you know, the little shops in the in the hallways, you know, they stop you uh, and try to get the ladies to try makeup on and all that stuff. Anyways, so there's this, there's these little shops in the middle of the hallways of the mall, and uh, I stopped because I saw that this place was selling Rolex watches. And back at, back in this year, it's about 199. I'm not gonna tell you that, anyways. Some of you it'll make you feel really old, and then some make you feel too young. So anyways, so I was walking through here though, and they had these Rolex watches. And I knew they were fake because they were seven bucks. Um, but the but in that at that time, like the like older men would wear these Rolex watches as almost like a token of their success, you know, about they've done, they finally arrived and they've got this brand new Rolex watch and I, I saw these Rolexes and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, it looked real. You know, I thought it looked great. Uh, The gold was shiny or what I thought was gold, you know, and I thought this is going to be awesome because who are you inviting to your birthday party, right? Rolex watch or, uh, you know, Ninja Turtles over here. Uh, I mean, you're a Rolex guy, right? And so it looked good to me. It looked real to me. And uh, the fake gospel is kind of like buying a fake Rolex. Like, why in the world, this is one of the things I was praying about as I, was, as I studied this, this passage, is why in the world would you ever spend your money on a fake when a real one has already been bought for you and your name's engraved on it? And it's for you free of charge. Right? Right? But if we don't know the difference between the real and the fakes, bailing on the real gospel to buy a fake Rolex can happen pretty easily. Look back at verse 6 at what Paul says. He said, I'm so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so why are the Galatians bailing on the gospel so quickly? It's so easy to read scripture you know, and be like, I don't know why they would do that. Right? And you're like, oh, you know, what about us? Right? Why are they bailing on it? Why do we do that? Like, why do we bail on the gospel so quickly? Because here's the deal. Tomorrow morning when you wake up in the morning, there's a likelihood that you're going to need to preach the gospel to yourself. You know? But why does, why does like a 20-year-old who goes off to college and seems so strong in her faith all of a sudden come back home and she's questioning her faith altogether? Why does that happen? Or a family member or a friend who's always been so solid in their faith just abandons the gospel. Why does this happen? Paul says, trouble and twisted truth. He says, "There's some that trouble you." And I know he's talking about some people coming to trouble you. But one of the things I was praying through is that there's trouble that comes into that will come into your life. So many I hear so many people preach stuff like, "Man, if you are real, you know, if you're real, if your faith is real strong, you, you won't have any sickness or you won't have any pain." I'm thinking, "Man, I wish that that was the case, but that is not true." God always makes Himself known in the middle of struggle. You will have pain. And there will be hurts and frustrations and and, uh, loss, job loss and cancer and divorce and betrayal from friends. Uh, And and it can happen with any kind of tragedy. You lose a spouse or a child or another family member. Maybe it's another miscarriage. And and trouble can be any kind of pain or any kind of hardship. It can be mild or it could be extreme. But the reality is is that usually trouble alone is not the reason that we turn and run to a different gospel or run from the gospel. Not by itself. It's usually trouble that's coupled with a. truth because whenever there's pain and hardship in our lives we're vulnerable to twisted truth Jesus plus this equals and then you can kind of go well, I guess that kind of makes sense I can, I can see that And listen, whenever we're scared or hurting or or discouraged or even disillusioned, we're so much more open, even more than we realize, to grabbing something in addition to the gospel that we first received. Because, hey, you know what? Jesus was sufficient up until this point. But now that I've got all this pain, I've got to lean into this other thing. And at that moment, we're tempted to go after what will soothe us rather than what will save us. Because trouble unchecked coupled together with any kind of twisted truth, it's a dangerous dangerous combination. That's why we need to know the difference between the real gospel and the fake ones because the fake Rolex look pretty good at times. And it serves the need for a little while. You know what? I walked in school and I thought like I was awesome until my wrist turned green three weeks later. You know? And that's what the fake gospel does to us. That's why we need to be connected to each other. That's why I love it when I hear stuff like on the video, like, "Hey, if you want to get connected, uh, join a small group." Why is that important? I love talking about the importance of being connected to each other, uh, and not just like not just going to a small group necessarily, but having close connections with people who love Jesus and know the gospel. Why? Because not just so that you can, when trouble hits your life, you've got somebody to walk through it with you, but also so that so that when you're walking through life, you can kind of have somebody go, "Hey, bro, that's a that's a fake Rolex. Don't spend your money on that. There's a real Rolex over here. It's been offered for you. And it's a free gift." And we need that reminder. I need that reminder on a constant basis. There's a real one over here, man. Don't stay over there. Right? Now, look with me at verse 10 as we close. Um, so there, there seems to be this uh, accusation being made against Paul, and, he, and he's not having it, right? I mean, Paul was one of those guys. He's not going to let somebody talk about him. So like this, he says, in verse, he said, For I'm now, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I love this, right? Because there's this accusation that's being made against Paul that the reason that Paul didn't tell them about circumcision, I mean, it wouldn't go over very well with grown men, but you know—but uh, the reason why he didn't tell them that uh, about the dietary laws and circumcision, the reason he didn't do those things is because he wanted to win friends and influence people. The accusation is that Paul soft-pedaled the gospel in order to gain converts, and so Paul goes, hey, if anyone's preaching anything other than this, then let him be damned. Who's trying to win friends now? Right? Because because if I'm trying to win friends, then I'm not a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to tickle your ears, then I don't love Jesus. And so the place that I want to pull us back to today is the reality that, and, and I hope that you get to walk out of here today understanding this, is that what has been made available to you, and it's a life full of grace by Jesus Christ. And you know what? Tonight, when your kids are annoying, you're going to have to remind yourself of that again. And tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you have to go do your job, you're going to have to remind yourself of that again. And when you have somebody coming in your office and disrespecting you, you're going to have to remind yourself of that again. And when you want to love your wife, even when it doesn't feel like it, you're going to have to remind yourself of that again. And when you've got friends who are sick, and all those things, that you we never can move on from the gospel. And I just want to remind us, we have a life full of grace by Jesus Christ and if you would confess your sins and repent and ask the Holy Spirit to dwell in you richly then God would grant the faith to believe in that grace that you'll be set free from bondage and wickedness the Bible says of this evil age and that is the only gospel there is guys that's it and so if you've come here And you're frantically trying to earn what's been freely given. That's no gospel at all. And if you think that you're a Christian, because when you were nine years old, your parents baptized you, but you haven't followed Jesus, you haven't pursued Jesus, listen, that's not the gospel. And what's at stake here is not only joy here and now, but ever-increasing joy throughout eternity. Please don't make the astonishing trade of exchanging the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ for some fake gospel, not now, and not that, not, that will never, uh, not now or ever will, bring the fullness of life that God has promised us in Christ Jesus for those of us who are in Christ. Pray with me, would you? Father, we love you. and uh, We love your word. We love your word. I'm so thankful. It's grace that we even get to read it. Um, and I just pray today that we would be able to walk in your grace, the grace that's been offered to us. I pray that your spirit uh, would cause us, call us to repent of our sin and the brokenness in our lives, um, that it would cause us to repent from the, uh, the times that we've tried to earn um, your grace that you freely took on yourself. And um, I just pray that that would be true for us today. I pray that tomorrow when we need it again, that you would remind us in the, the next day and the next day and the next day. And we're going to give you the honor that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen.